Well, hello, like JD said, my name is Emma, and if I haven't met you, it's very nice to meet you now. Um, so it's my last semester here at Texas State, and I have been involved with Crosstalk in Cypress Creek since my first semester of freshman year. So um, just to be able to see the generations and the seasons that Crosstalk um, has been obedient to the Lord's calling and the things that he's worked through this ministry in this church has been a real blessing. So tonight just feels like a celebration. Um, and I am glad you're here. And I just want you to know that I have been praying that the Lord draws near and speaks to each and every one of you tonight. And so um, just knowing that the Lord knew who would be in every single seat brings me just so much joy. So it's good to see all of your lovely faces. And if you've been able to join us for Crosstalk or community groups for the past couple weeks, we are in a series um, through the Gospel of Luke called The Journey of the King. So we're following Jesus through his lifetime in the Gospel of Luke. And I just wanted to get us up to speed on Jesus's life so far before we dive into the story tonight. Um, and what we started with was young Jesus in the temple. So JD spoke the very first crosstalk about Jesus as a boy in the temple, sitting and learning from religious leaders. And he um, showed us both his humanity and his divinity. And he introduces himself to us in the Gospel of Luke as the Son of God by saying, after his parents have been looking for him for days, they find him and he says, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And that is kind of a theme that we see through all the book of Luke and that we're going to continue seeing tonight. We next got to look at John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to begin his ministry. And we learned the humility um, that it takes to proclaim Jesus and proclaim his coming and his good news. And um, what Jesus uh, ends up getting to do is be baptized by John the Baptist, the one that proclaimed his coming and that was humble enough to say um, that someone greater than me is coming, the one whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to untie. So um, we get to see John do something way cooler, honestly, than untie Jesus' sandal straps, which is baptize him. And that is where we come to last cross talk, which was the temptation of Jesus. And here is where we see Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit go into the wilderness and be tempted. And what JD um, got to teach us about in that story is that how if Jesus was tested and tried by the enemy and faced the same things that we face today, um, that also means that we have the same Holy Spirit, and because of that, we're empowered to overcome them. And so we come to the beginning of Jesus's ministry now. Um, he's about 30, and so um, his ministry will last for the next three years until he's 33, and he goes to the cross. And so I just wanted to set up the beginning of Jesus's ministry by reading Luke 4, 16 through 20. Um, so this is going to be on the screen for y'all, and I'm just going to read it real quick. So um, and he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He had enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
And so I wanted to set that up as the context of this story, because as Jesus begins his ministry, he's showing that he is fulfilling the exact scripture in Isaiah that says what we've been talking about in the Gospel of Luke, which is that Jesus came for the oppressed and for the downtrodden and for the captive. And I just think that that is a really beautiful way that Jesus sets up the beginning of his ministry. Um, So from there, we see Jesus calling his first disciples. You have probably heard the story of him calling the fishermen to become fishers of men and proclaim the good news. And that is where we come to tonight's story, which is Jesus healing a paralytic. So since this is a story about physical healing, I thought I would tell you an injury story of my own. And I know that the injury that I had in this story was like nowhere near as bad as like a paralytics condition, but like, just go with me. Um, So when I was little, probably no older than like five or six, um, my parents would take me to this home group that they went to to study the Bible with other adults. It was great. And I remember that night I was particularly excited because somebody had made and brought a cake. And for a five or six-year-old little me, like that was all I was thinking about. So um, when we got there, the adults were downstairs. They were talking about grown-up things and studying the Bible. And I was cast upstairs to watch TV or color and whatever they thought would keep me busy. And I wasn't going to have any of that. I didn't want to be excluded, especially if there was cake downstairs. So I kept coming and peeking downstairs and like seeing if I could get in on the action. Um, And my mom was not having this. And so she came in hopes to help me find something that would keep me busy, um, came upstairs and me, thinking I was in trouble, started to book it. So I ran down the hallway straight into the room where I was supposed to be staying, and I ran face first into an exercise machine, um, which is horribly ironic. And what ended up happening, blood everywhere, I cut my eyelid right below the brow bone, where I still have a scar. And this being a very scary experience for a little kid, we had to leave home group and we had to go to the ER. And I remember sitting on the ER bed and all I was thinking about was that cake. I don't know why. I was probably still bleeding at this point. There were nurses asking me questions, but I remember sitting on the ER bed and asking my mom, when can we go back and get cake? And so, anyway, I tell that story to say that um, it makes a connection to our passage tonight. And I love that we sang um, that God knows what we need. He knows what he need and what we need, and he's always enough. Because what we're talking about tonight is that oftentimes what we think we need is not what Jesus knows we need. So like me, thinking that I needed cake when what I needed to heal was stitches, um, it's kind of going to come up in this story today um, that Jesus just knows what we need so much better than we do. So um, if you want to turn or open your phones to Luke 5, starting in verse 15, that's where we're going to be for the majority of tonight. And I'm just going to start by reading verse um, 15 and 16. So this sets up the story by saying, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So um, this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and we see right away that there were two things that the people were expecting of him, right? To um, hear him teach— and to be healed. 
And uh, as these had to have been pretty taxing demands on Jesus, as we've seen his humanity throughout the story of Luke, um, these earthly stressors would actually drive Jesus to prayer. And I think that that's really beautiful because that happens several times throughout Jesus's life. And it's such a display of humility for Jesus to withdraw from what could be fame, from what could be renown, and to recognize that his status first and foremost was as the son of God submitting to his heavenly father. And um, as we continue, it says that one of those days as he was teaching, this is verse 17, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So I have a map up there to give you a perspective of how quickly Jesus' ministry was growing at this point, right? So we've got Galilee, we've got Judea, and we've got Jerusalem, and you can see how kind of spread out across the map these things were. And so just a little bit into Jesus's ministry, there were people coming from all around to do, again, the two things that were expected of him, right? To teach and to heal. And so if you know me, I really love word studies. And so when I was thinking about the word heal, I wanted to look up and see what it meant in um, the Hebrew and the Greek. And on... um, like collecting both of those, taking them into consideration, what to heal means is really to be made whole or to make whole. And so as we go through the story of being healed, I want you to keep that definition in mind um, and how it surpasses just the physical healing of a body. So if we move on to verse 18, it says that behold, some men were bringing, some men were bringing a bed with a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So if you haven't heard this story before, or if you have, I want you to picture this scene. So Jesus is in a building, in a room, much, much smaller than this one, and there are crowds like packed around him, right? Because we heard how many places the people were coming from. So for the men lowering their friend down through the roof to lay before Jesus, this had to have been a pretty risky move because can you imagine like trying to get him out of there after they had lowered him down? They couldn't haul him back up. They would have to get him through the crowds out the door. And so I just think about the act of faith that this was to bring their friend and to lay him at the feet of Jesus and to believe not only in his ability to heal this man, but also his compassion and his willingness to And uh, I want to make a connection to our lives because each of us are, in a sense, paralyzed in some part of our lives. And like I said, this doesn't compare to the paralytic's condition, but this man didn't have the ability to walk. And for his friends that did have that ability, they were willing to bring him near to Jesus um, by using the ability that they had, and he didn't. And so, If I'm weak or paralyzed in some area of my life or my relationship with the Lord, I want to surround myself with people who have the abilities that I don't to use to bring me near to Jesus. And I would just invite you to little community group plug to find those people for yourself by joining a community group. Or if that doesn't work for you, then engaging in a one-on-one discipleship relationship with a leader or with JD or Paulina. Um, And... So to bring that full circle, um, the men lowering their friend on the stretcher in front of Jesus were willing to use their abilities to draw him near. 
And I think that we could all be encouraged to find that. So if we continue in verse 20, it says that when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, which other accounts of the story say that they're saying this in their hearts, right? Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And it says that Jesus sees exactly what we just pointed out, right? Is that this action took a lot of faith, a visible, tangible display of faith. And he responds by forgiving with no asks or no conditions on the man. And this way that he responds does not line up with what anyone in the room was expecting him to say, right? Because they were expecting him to do what? To heal and to teach, not to forgive. And so the Pharisees have a response that I feel like I am quick to do when God does something that I'm not expecting of him. And that's to question in my heart. So it was not the faith that the paralyzed man's friends came to Jesus with. It was doubt and it was questioning. Um, and they kept it in their hearts. They didn't bring it to him. I think that doubt is a good thing when we bring it in front of Jesus and tell him, here are my doubts, please help me. But they didn't. It says they kept it in their hearts. And I want to, if we continue, it's interesting how Jesus responds to their doubts, even though they're in the Pharisees' hearts. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? He got them. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So I want to take a second to talk about verse 23, in which Jesus says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Because he doesn't really answer that question. (laughs) It seems like kind of a rhetorical question to the Pharisees. And I would argue that because he's asking what's easier to say and not what's easier to do, he means that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because nobody in the room could have seen the fruit immediately of that man's sins being forgiven. Nobody would would have been able to see a tangible result of Jesus forgiving this man's sin. And so that would be easier to say. Things that you don't have to prove are much easier to say. If he were to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, there would have had to have been proof for people to believe it. And so Jesus, knowing this, proves his ability and his authority by showing the crowd something that was visible to affirm what had already happened invisibly, right? So the man's sins were forgiven, and Jesus, to he graciously says, so that you may know with certainty that I am the Son of God and I have the authority to do this. He does something visible, and he does it with his words. He says, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and walk. The very thing that he claimed was harder to say, he did and he did it by saying it. And in the story, Jesus is displaying his divine power, which is a reference to Daniel 7, a prophecy which says that the Son of Man will give, be given dominion and authority over all the earth, is what Jesus is referencing by calling himself the Son of Man, which happens several times throughout the Gospels. And he's showing that divine power in three ways. So he forgives the man, he perceives the Pharisees' thoughts, and he heals. But he doesn't do one without doing the others. 
And I think that that is a really gracious picture of Jesus, that he always comes through to prove himself, even though he doesn't have to, just because we are of so little faith that he is gracious enough to extend his hand down and give us all the chances possible to show us, I'm in control. Look, I have the power and the authority. And so as we wrap up the story in verse 25, it says that immediately he, the paralytic, rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, meaning the crowd, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have, exceed, we have seen extraordinary things today. And I want this to be my response to God doing amazing things, even when they're things I don't expect. I want to glorify him. I don't want the doubt and the questioning in my heart that the Pharisees had, but I want to glorify him. But the point of this passage overall that I really don't want you guys to miss is this. Even though Jesus cares deeply about the circumstances of our lives, he does. He cares infinitely more about the condition of your heart. And I think that this is because a heart burdened by unforgiven sin is ultimately separated from God. Because our God is too good and too holy to tolerate the things that he knows is going to hurt us. And so Jesus, in his graciousness, knows what we need. Like we sang earlier, and that is not healing. It's not healing of the body. It's healing of the heart. And that comes through his forgiveness. And in the paralyzed man, Jesus looked past his outward circumstances and saw sin that needed pardoning. And when the passage says in verse 17 that the power of the Lord was with him to heal, which if you remember means to be made whole, I really think that this means people's hearts because Jesus cares deeply about that paralytic circumstances. He cares about yours, but he cares so much more about the condition and the well-being and the closeness of your heart to the Father. And the crowds who followed Jesus around during his ministry, as we saw, expected him to teach and to heal. And even today, most people, even who aren't Christians, see Jesus as this moral teacher or this prophet. But 1 John 3.8 tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, that being sin. And our fundamental need is to be made right with the Heavenly Father, which far surpasses our wants and our desires and our longings, no matter how good they are. And the friends of the paralyzed man wanted him to be able to walk, and that was a good thing. I wanted cake, and that was a good thing, <laughs> but it wasn't the best thing. And Jesus always knows what the best thing is. And what's so cool about this is this is the ultimate way that he shows us love. And when I think of God's love, I think a lot of Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, where God says to the Israelites, I have loved you. And the Israelites respond by saying, how? Prove it. How have you loved us? Which, ridiculous, the creator of the world telling you that he loves you and asking him to prove it, which is exactly what the Pharisees were wanting Jesus to do in the story. Prove it. And God responds by saying something that I think is so beautiful. He tenderly reminds the Israelites that I love you because I've chosen you to be my nation. And that is how Jesus loves us. He had no obligation to forgive us, to reconcile us to himself, but he chose to. 
And so I just want to encourage you tonight to hold on to that reminder when your circumstances seem bleak, when the healing hasn't come, when the provision seems too small, that if you believe that Jesus atoned for your sins with his death on the cross, secured your eternity with his resurrection, and sent the Holy Spirit after his ascension to sanctify you until the day that you meet your heavenly Father, your most fundamental need is met because he knows what we need. And you are loved by Jesus because in his divine authority, he has chosen to forgive you of your sins and present you blameless before the throne of God. And I love what Jesus says to the man to end this story. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And then he says, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And I really think that's a picture of what he's done for us. I think that he's forgiven us. And with his healing power, he commands us to get off the floor and to go to go running towards home for all the days of our life. And that is what the man who was healed is obedient to do. And that is what I want to be obedient to do. I want to get up and I want to go and I want to run towards home for the rest of my life.